Hey folks, welcome to the Hunt the South podcast episode, well I guess technically episode one of the Hunt the South podcast, but uh, we're going to call it episode 75. We're going to just continue on uh, with the numbers that, that we were using with the Georgia Field podcast uh, since you know, it's basically just a name change, but uh, we're going to keep them rolling. But as always, uh, this episode is brought to you by Tethered, makers of the lightest and most advanced saddle hunting system out there. And speaking of Tethered, I know Robert and I have been talking about, uh, you know, there's a lot of buzz around their new carbon fiber platform that they introduced at the ATA show. And I think it actually won ATA's Best New Product Award. And uh, yeah, that, that one, that looks pretty slick. Yeah, it uh, does. <laughs> I, would like to, uh, I would like to get one of those in hand. I wasn't able to go to the ATA show this year. Um, ended up kind of backing out there last minute, but. Uh, that was that was something I definitely would have liked to have checked out. Now I have not seen a price tag, uh, and I, I haven't seen a the weight figure for it. It's probably out there somewhere, but I'm not sure what the weight on that is. But I'm sure it's pretty dang light, being carbon fiber, and probably going to have a pretty good price tag on it too. <laughs> but uh, you know, if you're into ultra lightweight setups, that thing is is going to be the ticket. So definitely be looking forward to maybe we can get our hands on one of those and, and get you guys a review. But uh, hey, you know, we're we're really excited about the new rebranding, the, the Hunt South. And we've actually, in addition to that, we've we just recently launched the new Hunt the South website uh, at HuntTheSouth.com. We'd love for you guys to, to check that out and let us know what you think. Um, still in the works. I mean, it's the, the basics are there, but we're still tweaking it, adding some stuff to it. And so if you run into any issues with it, any bugs or anything, Hey, you can shoot us an email or, or reach out to us on social media and let us know, uh, as we work to continually improve that thing. And of course we'll be adding new content to it as well. Um, I know if you get, if you go on there and start kind of looking through the podcast episodes, there's some holes here and there of episodes we didn't get on there in the past. It wasn't on the old website. Uh, but we're going to work to get all those filled in too. So every episode of our podcast will be on the website. In addition to, you know, anywhere else you listen to episodes, uh, whether that be Apple podcast or iHeartRadio, Spotify, all those have the, have the full library of, of Georgia field uh, podcast episodes, but we, we missed a few when we were adding them to the website here and there. So we'll try to get those all filled in, but, one thing that that hopefully you'll notice there on the new website, prominent right there at the top, is a uh, a donate button. Uh, for any of you who who want to become a Patreon for our or a patron, I don't know what's because a Patreon is the uh, the website. I guess technically you would be a patron if you join, but it's just a way to help support the podcast with a small monthly contribution. Help us cover some of the expenses involved with. Uh, you know, just hosting the podcast, hosting the website and that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, several of you have done that and we, we truly appreciate that. Uh, it just kind of helps, helps us keep the lights on here at uh, Hunt <laughs> South. So if you're interested in that, you can, you can try that new button out there at the top. And um, yeah, what, what else we got, Robert? Yeah. And with that, you know, Brian's talking about the donate button and the Patreon account, but you don't have to be, you know, a financial supporter to show your appreciation for the show. You know, really all we want and the biggest help for us is just going out and sharing the the podcast and the website with your friends and your family, your hunting buddies, anybody you may know that enjoys the outdoors from turkey hunting to deer hunting, uh, duck hunting, you know, whatever the case, and tell them to check out the podcast and the website. And that's, that's the biggest thing that's going to help us and you, it's going to help us grow um, as far as the channel and and our podcast and stuff. And uh, another thing, you know, if you know any hunters out there that are consistently successful anywhere throughout the Southeast, uh, let us know, send us a message, send us an email. I believe on the new website, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong. I think both the emails are on there. Y'all can reach us at, um, send us a Facebook message and, uh, let us know, you know, anybody, you know, throughout the Southeast part of the country that's a successful deer hunter, turkey hunter, or duck hunter on public land or private land. And uh, we can see if we can get those guests on. So we we would greatly appreciate that as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You're always looking for good guests to, to get on here and talk to because uh, there's so many, so many guys out there. You know, it's easy to to go through and, and look for the, the big names that everybody knows. But 
there's so many guys out there behind the scenes that are getting it done, you know, killing good bucks on public land every year consistently. And uh, just guys that, that we've never heard of or you've never heard of. And, and those are the, the types that we're looking for. And that's actually the, the episode this week is, is one of those types of guys. I mean, I doubt most of uh, most of you will recognize the name Alex Huey, unless maybe you're on one of our Facebook groups or something and you've seen it. Uh, but he certainly consistently kills good bucks on some public lands. Uh, some of the public lands that, that me and Robert hunt as uh, well as some others in North Georgia as well. He, he, uh, he's definitely had some success on those hunts. And a lot of times it's on those, those short check-in type firearm hunts. Uh, he's able to get in there and get it done in a matter of a few days. So we're going to pick his brain a little bit. Uh, before we jump on the phone with Alex, so one last thing I, I did want to say is uh, we've been adding some new YouTube content here recently, and we're trying to get consistent with that, trying to put something out every week. And we've, we've done that the last few weeks. So uh, please check out our YouTube channel when you have time. Again, it, it's changed over to Hunt the South as well. So you can head over to YouTube and, and just search Hunt the South. Shouldn't have any problem finding it. Uh, we've added some content on there about forest stand improvement. Um, some of you have asked about some of the work I've been doing here on my property and, and how I've been uh, girdling and, and spraying herbicide on these trees. So I'll walk you through that process. Uh, put one on there about red oak acorns and, and why they can be a great late season food source, uh, better than white oak acorns in some some cases. And then uh, we uh, just today, as we record this, uh, I added a uh, a video. It's going to be the first in our 2022-2023, I guess, deer season journal. So, yeah, we're already kind of kicking things off with that, even though deer season just wrapped up. Uh, you know, it's it's time to start preparing for the next one. And and this one's just kind of a first scouting trip out to one of the local WMAs. And uh, it was it was a good one. Got into some some good sign in there and a place I'm looking really looking forward to sticking a camera in here, you know, late June, early July and just uh, seeing what's in there. So it's a great time of year to get out there and, and, and bust a brush and get out there in those thickets and, and just start scouting these these tracks of public land. and. Uh, start looking for for spots for the upcoming season. Yeah, because with the yeah, well, I mean, you got obviously no foliage on the trees, so you can see the sign a lot better, and it makes some of those harder to access spots a little easier to get into because of that. Because you know everything's kind of <laughs> kind of dead right now. You know, asleep with winter time, the, yeah, the foliage yeah. and stuff. So it makes it a little easier to get into those spots and scout them. And uh, I know that spot you're talking about. It's not one that's easy to get to once it starts, uh, <laughs> that foley starts busting back no. out. It's, it's definitely not easy to get in there. So, no, it wasn't fun getting into now, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, it'll only get worse. Yeah. Once those, once all those new briars grow in this, uh, this spring and summer, yep. it's, uh, it's going to be rough. But yeah, it's a great time of year. Like you said, you, you can see so much shine this time of year. Um, those old rubs and stuff stick out like a sore thumb. The trails are beat down. It's just it's just a good time to get out there. And like I said, if you get out there now and and bump deer out of those bedding areas and stuff, well, you know it's not going to matter come deer season. So uh, just just one is my one of my favorite times to to be out in the woods outside of deer season is is right now. And it's the weather's a lot more comfortable than getting out there in the August, you know, right. scouting, so. yeah, when it's ninety five, yeah, yeah, humidity of ninety nine percent. So, yep. Good deal. But with that, hey guys, um, if you don't have anything else, Robert, we'll uh, we'll jump on the phone here with Alex and and pick his brain about how he is successful on these these public land hunts. Yep, let's get it rolling. All right, guys, we got Alex Huey on the line. Uh, Alex, how you doing? I'm good. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing good. Um, yeah, just kind of getting over uh, the the depression of of deer season wrapping up, but. There is definitely uh, plenty of other things to to be doing out there now to start preparing for next season. So I'm telling you, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a never ending process, man. That's for sure. Well, it looks like everybody good got a good bit of venison this year. So congratulations, to, you know your accomplishments. It looks as as for me, I had another great year. So you know, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's actually that's a good uh, segue. I wanted to wanted to ask you about how this past season went for you. So um how, how did it 
Well, it started out with an early season public land bear. I got another bear this year. Um, went on to get another public land buck. Harvested a really, really nice 10 pointer on a new piece of property that we purchased. And uh, got a couple coyotes. My beagle even got a chance to do a little tracking this year. So it was a good season, all in all. Put a good buddy of mine on his biggest buck this year. So very cool. Yeah, that, that definitely sounds like a good season. For sure. I'll have to, have to get, get you on here another time to talk a little bit about uh, those, those bears because that's, that's definitely something I'm interested in and uh, would like like to give that a try sometime, try to get a North Georgia bear. Um, yeah, I got, sure. into it. I got into it about six years ago, and um, I've harvested three, three now, and it's a blast. It's a blast. So there's uh, definitely a lot to it. It relates to deer hunting um, in a big way. You know, you hunt bears. Uh, same way you hunt deer, just about, you know, it's just a lot, lot more climbing up and down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I haven't, uh, I haven't done much mountain hunting. I haven't done any mountain hunting for that matter. So yeah, that would be a whole new experience in itself. Uh, definitely. I'll tell, I'm sorry. I'll tell you, everybody I take goes once and that's about it for them. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it does seem like it'd be cool. I mean, I know. Uh, especially with deer, you know, I know it's low deer density. You know, you could probably sit out there a long time and and the the wrong spot and and not see a single deer. But uh, man, right. it, it just it, it appeals to me. I mean, it's a just beautiful scenery and and neat country. But yeah, I know I better I better get in a little better shape before I head up there chasing bears. Yeah, you know, and you have areas um, up there, Blue Ridge. A lot of areas in North Georgia are heavily populated with deer. Um, you have some that are sparsely populated. Uh, a lot of your public lands, of course, are pressured. You don't have as much as as much um, of a population in those areas. But for you, a lot of your private lands, uh, Blue Ridge especially, there's a heavy heavy deer population in that area. Okay. Yeah. Well, tell us tell us a little bit about the, your public land buck from this year. How did that? Uh, obviously, you know we don't don't uh want you to name drop or anything as far as that goes but i mean you know just as far as uh how that hunt played out and and what what kind of led you to that success well you know that's my go-to every year um for the past three years i pulled a big buck off this property um every year and two of them have been out of the same spot uh every year it's ate up with scrapes ate up with rubs and i found this place years back it's just one of those areas that's way back. People don't get back in there a whole lot and they don't see a lot of pressure. Um, you know, you have to cross basically cross the river to get back there to it, you know, and a lot of people don't want to do that. So it's just one of those areas that doesn't see a lot of pressure. It's real thick and the deer seem to be in there every year. Yeah. So what did you even, I mean, before, before this hunt, had you gone in there and, and scouted it out or looked at different places or did you just pretty much you know, had a feeling they would still be in there and, and just headed into that spot. Well, between all the different public lands that I hunt and all the different areas that you have on those different public lands, it's, there's just not enough time in the season. Yeah, that, um, that's for sure. Yeah, you can scout and do all, all your homework. And, you know, the deer are normally there. There's normally a mature buck in most, most areas on these public lands. It's just a matter of getting in there, doing your homework, finding out where he's coming from and playing the wind the wind is a big factor you know you can do everything right but if he smells you smells something's not right he's out of there um you're not gonna see yeah so that's that's one thing i learned a long time ago is play the wind yeah and i think that probably messes up more hunts than than most people realize and and probably and i'm speaking for myself there too but you know a lot of times like you said, you'll, you'll find this great spot, you know, all the signs there and you think, man, this is, this is the spot. And you get in there and hunt it a couple of times and, and nothing happens. And you're like, well, I guess it wasn't, you know, such a great spot after all, but you know, it could have just been, you, you the, the wind just wasn't right. Like you said, you get in there and that buck figures out real quick that uh, somebody's in there hunting his, his space. Then, you know, you may, you may never see, you may have turned a good spot into a, a not so good spot. <laughs> Real quick. Well, that's right. You walk into your living room and there's a stranger in your home. You look and you say, "Hey, that's not right." And yeah, you go on. You right. go on alert. Uh, these deer are the same way. They they live here every day. They know what's going on. They know what's right. They know what sounds right. They know what smells right. And 
you know, if you come in there, even a lot of people say they like to smoke their clothes at the campfire. Um, yeah, that's okay for a deer that smells campfire all the time. But when you're hunting two miles back and that deer smells campfire a hundred yards away, it's, it's not the same. Um, yeah. Yeah. it's just, just not the same at all. Yeah. So, that's exactly right. I was actually talking to a guy who uh, does a lot of suburban bow hunting and, and he's pretty successful at it. And we were, we were talking about that, that very thing. And he, he thinks, and, and it makes sense to me that, you know, those deer in those suburban settings, they, they can tell the difference between the smell of a human that's around there all the time, you know, maybe a, a somebody that lives right there and they're out in their yard and stuff all the time and somebody different, you know, like when a hunter comes in and tries to hunt these suburban deer, you know, he, he thinks they know the difference between the different people. And, and I wouldn't doubt that a bit. Yeah, they definitely know what's right and wrong. When a deer gets pressured, of course, when you have a deer that doesn't, that doesn't see any hunters, doesn't see pressure their whole life, they're, you know, of course, a little more predictable. But when you have a deer that's been under pressure for years, they're unpredictable. It's, it's hard to tell exactly what they're going to do. All you can do is hunt as much as you can have as much patience um you know and have a very understanding family yeah yeah absolutely hey well go ahead i was just gonna say before we get before we get too far in the weeds on strategy because I, I do want to talk a bunch of strategy but uh if you would just give us a little bit of kind of background on yourself uh as far as you know what, what who you are and and how you got introduced to hunting in the outdoors uh, well, you know, I'm just a middle Georgia plumber. Um, been hunting since I was old enough to get out in the woods with my father. I was blessed to have a, have a father that took a, a lot of time up with me. And, you know, it's something that kids don't have these days. You know, they don't have a, a lot of, a lot of time to parents just don't have the time to take up with their kids. It seems like these days, like, like they used to. And yeah. I was very blessed to have a father that brought me into the sport and and showed me the way you know he was very knowledgeable he didn't actually have a father that went out and took him you know like he did me so he made it a point to go out there and show me how to survive out there, you know so he showed me at a very young age and he showed me very well good deal yeah that, that's uh that's important that, that's something i'm definitely trying to do with with my kids because i'm a, i'm in the same boat i guess as your dad you know i didn't have a a dad or, or really any close family that that hunted so I've, I've definitely tried to instill that in my kids and give them every, every opportunity i can you know regardless of whether they end up continuing to do it on down the line but uh, they definitely can't say that they didn't you know didn't have those opportunities and, and didn't get taken out for sure so yeah, yeah. well with the the fast-paced life that everybody lives now everybody Work, 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 you know, it's, it's hard to find time to even hunt anymore, seems like, for a lot of people. And, you know, getting kids off the Xbox in the woods is becoming a problem. Uh, yeah. Really. Yep. I tell you, though, man, you got to, you know, I, I took, I feel like I took my kids a lot, but they, you know, hunting a lot. But, you know, they're they're older now and uh, both of actually my, my youngest, my daughter, is uh going to college now and moved, moved out. So, uh, it, it was never enough. You know, you look back and I know I took them a lot, but I'm like, man, I, I wish I would have took them more, you know, that you don't get those opportunities back. So yeah, it is. I know everybody's busy these days, but man, don't, don't pass up that opportunity to get out there with, with your kids. That's right. All you, all you can do is instill it in them and you know, they'll grow in the direction that they grow with it. You know, that I don't force it on my kids. Um, they really love to hunt. They go out with me. When they want, of course, you know those real cold mornings. They're gonna tell me, they're gonna tell Daddy, "Are oh, you crazy?" Uh, <laughs> yeah, go by, yourself, go by yourself. But you know, for the most part, my kids love it. You know, they've they've got the same background I grew up having out in the outdoors as much as we can get out there. Good deal. So, what initially drew you to uh, to public land hunting as opposed to you know going out and joining the lease or hunt club or? Well, we, you know, of course, we didn't grow up with a lot of money, so that that helped the situation. Um, hunting public lands always been there. Hunting Oconee National Forest has always, you know, been been real close to me, and you know, I still hunt there every year. Of course, um, I've harvested quite a, quite a few deer off Oconee National Forest. It's uh, a really really good place to hunt if you know what you're doing. 
course, it seems like it's growing in popularity. Um, the more and more we see these stories on social media and GON and things like that. But, you know, it's, in a way, that's a good thing. We want to introduce people to the sport and we want to get people into it so it's not a dying sport. Because right. for, for years, it was a dying sport. Um, you know, I remember when you could go to the Oconee National Forest and you could find just about anywhere you wanted to hunt and not run into a person for days. Um, it's just not that way anymore. You you run into a couple people at each little parking spot you go to, anywhere you can park, you know, there's going to be somebody there just about. Um, and that's just because it's getting more popular. You see all these big deer on social media and, and hunting's come a long ways in the past 20 years in Georgia. <laughs> um, from when I was younger, it was rare to see a mature buck um, to now you can go out there and see four or five a year, you know? So just yeah. a big difference, big difference in the management plan, which DNR has been doing an awesome job from what I see, especially the past few years with these food plots. I see that they're putting in for the additional nutrition, everything that these deer need. They're, they're starting to grow some really nice deer. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's definitely some good deer to be had out on, on these public lands. So now, you know, you mentioned earlier about, you know, hunting, hunting North Georgia and stuff for bear. And I know, I know you do a good bit of, of hunting different WMAs and kind of traveling around, uh, you know, how many different, how many different WMAs or, or tracks of public land do you typically hunt in a season? Is Do you hunt one, one track, um, you know, most of the season and with just an occasional trip elsewhere, or do you just kind of move around, you know, the whole season? Well, I kind of, uh, you know, you have only so many days you can hunt these WMAs. So I try to line it up to where I can go from one to the next that, I, you know, and then if there's two WMAs that I want to hunt on the same weekend or the same week, you know, you have to pick and choose, of course, then. But I try to have it to where I can go from one to the next to the next, um, you know, within a matter of weeks and they're spread. My hunts are spread out pretty evenly. Um, as far as, you know, which hunts I like to go on, there's a lot of scouting that goes in all year long. Of course, you know that, you know, we've, I've just got into really running trail cameras a couple of years back and, you know, I, it's a good thing and a bad thing. You run the <laughs> cameras, you see these deer and you get stuck on certain deer, um, you know, and then it doesn't pan out. And when you should have been moving around, if you jumped around a little bit more, you probably would have run up on a nice one somewhere else. So those trail cameras will hang you up a little bit longer than they should on certain areas at times. Um, but it, you know, it helped me, it helped me greatly on, you know, the big 10 pointer that I got this year. I seen him on trail camera at night, night, nighttime, every, every evening he was coming through the same spot. And then I got him during the daytime. As soon as I got him during the daytime, I started hunting him. Um, the next evening he come in with, with a doe right on her, right on her tail. I knew what the deal was right in the middle of the rut. Buck finally shows up on camera in the daytime. It's time to get in the woods. Yeah. Um, so the camera has helped me and hurt me in ways. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you on those. I, I go back and forth. I love running trail cameras, but then there's times I'm like, man, maybe I should just this whole season, just forget, you know, not even run them. Let's forget about them. Yeah. Yeah. Or put them out and just don't even bother with, just let them run during the season and, and check them after season or whatever. Cause they will, they, they'll mess you up. And not only like you mentioned, uh, they can get you hung up on a, a specific buck and, and waste too much time in one spot, but then they'll also, you know, on, on the flip side and, and me and Robert have talked about this before, you can also get to looking at them. And, and if you're not getting anything on the camera, you know, you get this in your head that, it's not a good spot or you don't need to hunt there. And, and the deer could be walking 50 yards on the other side of the camera every single day. You know, you do, they just ain't walking right in front of your camera. So you got, you got to be careful both ways, I guess. Um, yeah. But, yeah. but they, they're a great tool, but like you said, you just can't, can't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, you can't rely on those, those cameras. Yeah. And, and you know, there's a lot of other scouting that goes into it, which WMAs we hunt each year, you know, you go out and, just try to find the deer year to year. They move around. It's like the bear population in North Georgia moves around. It's, uh, you know, they're, they're all over the place. A lot of times they're going to be in the same areas for the same nutritional factors at certain times of the year. 
but that also changes just just like the this acorn crop we had this year was very spotty um i I heard some people say they had great acorns in their area the areas that i normally hunt were very sparse white oaks were terrible this year um that the deer still ended up where they needed to be um on a couple different occasions and i had a couple different really nice deer break my heart this year um (laughs) (laughs) but you know just this different different tactics each year and you know it goes into finding the acorns first you know of course you want to find the fruit first muscadines persimmons during early bow season then you move on to the acorns um after that's up it goes to the greens and your mushrooms um that's pretty much the cycle that i've found throughout the year later season they get in the greens they get in the pine thickets you'll find those little brown mushrooms growing up where they're nosing through there um you'll find the scat all over the place and at late season if you find that you're on the deer yeah so are you are is a big focus of your your scouting and hunting food centered then how how much of it i mean i understand you know going out there and and looking for these food sources you know persimmons and and acorns and stuff um how much does cover play into that though Are, are you looking at where this food is in relation to cover or if you find a good food source you know, a sign you're going to hunt it. Typically 90% of the time when I find a good area is going to be on the edge of a thicket. Um, and that's just because I've found that deer edge animals, they like to work the edge of the ridge. They like to work the edge of the saddle, bottom edges, top edges. They don't go right across the top. Um, m- most of the time they'll run the edge of the ridge right to where they blend in. Just as you'd like to set up a ground blind. If you set up a ground blind, you're going to set up on the edge of the ridge. You're not going to set it up dead on top or dead at the bottom because you're a sore thumb. I kind of feel they feel the same way about that. When they're running those ridges and running those thickets, they try to stick to the cover and they try to stick to where they're not going to be a sore thumb. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. How long did it take you to start having success on public land to kind of get things figured out? Well, I hunted deer on public land for for years, of course, um, you know, when I was younger and finally harvested my first one when I was 14. Um, from that point on, uh, it was pretty much get ready to drag. (laughs) (laughs) You know, ever since I I, I shot my first one, it seems like it's been one after the other since then. So, you know, like I said, my father, he was always real good about it too. And, you know, we've, we've harvested a lot of, a lot of deer over the years. Yeah. Now, were there any just kind of aha moments, you know, during that time where you just like something clicked and and you figured out something that that improved your success or was it just kind of a gradual learning process? Well, you learn more and more each year, no matter how long you hunt, you're going to learn something. You're going to learn more about the deer and how they move and how they sense. And, you know, and it's just basically when you have somebody and you're growing up and they know where to put you you're going to be successful. You know, when your homework's already done and you have spots that, that you put in, and as long as you know how to sit there, be quiet and be still, you're going to have success when, when you have such a great teacher already. So. Yeah. Yep. That definitely helps. Uh, That definitely helps. But that's the, you know, when I'm, when I'm taking somebody hunting with me for the first time, I just tell them basically all you can do is be still you know, don't make any noise because that's going to be the first thing. Play the wind. If you're not in the right wind set up, move. It's not going to help you to sit there and have deer blow at you the whole time you're there because you can take as many baths, put your clothes in the scent-free ozone. They're still going to smell you. They're just like a dog. I've got a big old hound. I can wear my rubber boots and I can take off a half mile and that dog will track me right to my tree and sit there and look at look <laughs> up. That The deer are the same way. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Deer have like, you know, I don't remember the exact figure, but they got thousands more of those um, the recept- you know, receptors. Yeah. Than, yeah. than a dog. So, yeah, just imagine how much how much better a deer can smell than a dog. And like you said, a dog can track you down in a heartbeat. Yeah. And, that you know, my, my dog, he can take a he could take a track on a deer with a spotty blood trail and follow him a half mile and find him. You know, that's 
it's a good nose. And like I said, deer's got the same nose on them, if not better. Yeah, that's right. Well, let's kind of walk through your scouting process then. And, and I guess my first question is, are you a big, um, I guess, digital scout or whatever you want to call it? Do you, do you use a lot, a, lot, a lot of online you know, maps, aerial photos, that kind of stuff to scout every, a spot? Every property I go to. Um, yeah, I look at the maps. I look at the boundaries. Um, you know, I want to see where I'm going, of course, and that helps you, in, in a sense, not get lost. You can take the GPS out there with you, which I have the handheld GPS, and I recommend anybody that go to North Georgia get a handheld GPS. They're not that expensive. You hear stories every year about guys getting lost, coon hunting, squirrel hunting, deer hunting, whatever the situation may be. It's scary for everybody involved, people reading the stories, people that are out there. Get you a GPS if you're hunting in the mountains. Um, as far as, you know, the going into the maps before I go into an area, yeah, I'm going to look at areas that are densely forested. They don't have a lot of roads. Of course, I want to get away from the road. I want to get back as far as I can. Now, with this whole baiting law, um, as much as I hate to say it, you know, you've got a lot of private lands that run a lot of bait around the edges of these WMAs, which pull a lot of the deer. Um, some of the WMAs that I hunt serve more more as a bedding ground because the deer know that they're safe certain times of the year and they can go right across the line and get corn freely when they want at night. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you, you find a lot of areas along the boundary, beat down trails, stuff like that. And they're 90% of the time, they're probably going to a corn feeder over on the private land, these plantation lands that are thousands of acres and, you know, all that. So that goes into scouting now where it didn't used to. Um, in my eyes, with the with the way baiting used to be, there was a fair advantage for everyone involved, public and private, because the deer had to go where they had to go to get their food. Yeah. Um, they don't have these big piles of corn right here on the plantation right across from the WMA. So, of course, it it levels the playing field for public land hunters but you can also still use it to your advantage and figure out how to hunt those public lands when these guys are pressuring the deer and they're only coming to their corn at night. Yeah. Okay. So you're looking at, you're looking at boundaries where, where the public meets private land. Uh, you're, you're looking at getting away from the access spots. That's right. Um, getting, getting far, far as I can away from the people. Of course, when you're, you know, you're getting more and more people interested in hunting public land. They did away with the WMA stamp, and I think that's one thing that has kind of made the WMAs more popular. They didn't have to pay for the WMA stamp. Years ago, you had to pay the $20 to hunt the WMAs, whereas now you don't. So you got a lot more interest there um, just by hunters being able to access it freely. Uh, so you got to get away from all of them. Um, you know, you got to try and when you can't, you got to be nice. You got to be kind to everybody. You know, we're all out there for the same thing. We're all out there to have fun. We don't want to have any, uh, you know, bad relationships, bad times out there over, over hunting. You know, it's not worth it. No, so. no, that's for sure. So how many, say you're, you're going to hunt a, a new WMA this year and you're doing your map scouting, like you're talking about there. Um, how many different are you going to pick out multiple spots before you ever kind of get out there and, and put your boots on the ground? Are you just kind of picking out a general area or are you picking out specific spots you want to look at once you get put boots on the ground or what's that look like? Yeah, I look for terrain. I look for saddles, ridges, um, especially hunting North Georgia's. It goes into hunting the terrain a lot more than middle Georgia, of course. Um, you know, when you're hunting North Georgia, you're going to be looking for those big, long ridge tops. Um, the big wide open saddles that go in between the mountains that shoot back for miles um, with, you know, very limited access. You know, you're going to be looking for those types of areas because your deer in extreme North Georgia, they're not going to go straight up and down the hill. They're going to follow the thickest path of least resistance. And once you figure that out and you find where they're traveling through, um, you know, you've normally got it licked. And that's the same, you know, goes the same for the bears too. They're going to follow the thickest path of least resistance that they can to their food source. Yeah, that's right. So how, once, once you're, you know, you've done your map scouting, you, you found these spots that, that you want to look at, um, kind of walk us through the, the next step. You're going to get out there. 
and put boots on the ground. Um, again, are you, are you going to have multiple spots kind of planned to look at once you get out there or, or do yeah, you kind of focus got, on one area or. I, I'll normally try to find at least, especially a new property. When I first started hunting uh, my North Georgia property, I found five different areas cause I had no clue where I was going. No, you know, walk, walking in blind everywhere I go. So I had five different areas that I'm going to go scout while I'm there. I give myself a good week to do it. Um, and I scouted the first couple areas. They didn't pan out, didn't look that great, wasn't a whole lot of deer sign, couple tracks here and there. Um, got to the third area, and I and I liked it. There was some rubs, a lot more deer sign than I've been finding. Um, and got back probably a mile and a half in past that spot. I was about three quarters of a mile. So I'm a little over two miles in where I found the next spot that I that I like to hunt. Um, you know, some sometimes you have to get way back in there, and then sometimes you'll find areas that are, you know, three quarters of a mile in that's not as hard to get to, uh, but you got to know where these animals are running. You know, if they're feeling pressure, they're going to be two miles back. If they're not getting a whole lot of pressure, you'll find them three quarters of a mile back, but it's, in a, as a general rule, it's best to get as far back as you can in a densely populated, you know, densely forested area. Yeah. Yeah. Now what, what specifically are you looking for at that point with boots on the ground? I know, you know, we've talked about the the food sources, um, good cover, but I guess what is it that's going to cause you to, to stop and say, okay, that this is a potential spot to hang a stand right here or to hunt. I mean, what, what specifically is going to attract you to, to a, a specific spot? Well, a lot of it's terrain, trails, scat. Um, I do a lot of my um, my scouting early season um, while I'm bear hunting up in North Georgia. I'll, you know, I do a lot of spot and stalk for bear up there, so I get a lot of ground covered while I'm doing that early bow season. Uh, so, of course, I get to see a lot of different terrain. I get to see where these trails all come together. Um, and, you know, at that point when you're hunting all day, you can get, three miles, three and a half miles back in, you know, easily and get away from the people at that point. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of hard when you can't pack into some of these places and take a tent, you know, some of these WMAs won't allow you to, to get back in there and pack in for days like you would like to do. Um, but when I'm going into an area, I'm mainly wanting to go in and I'm wanting to find trails where they come together, the scat, of course. And then once you find that, You've pretty much got it licked. It's all a matter of patience, uh, getting an area, try to find out where they're coming through. Of course, if you're seeing deer filtering off 150 yards on the next ridge two or three times, you might want to hop down, scoot over to that next ridge and adjust. Um, but it's as a basic rule, you're just looking for your general, general trails where they come together, where they're going. You try to find you know, the bedding areas that they're going into, of course, without bumping everything out of there. Um, but you do as much scouting as you can, and there's more patience that goes into it than anything once once you found that spot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, do you scout much this time of year, or are you more just focused on kind of right at the beginning of season, getting your scouting in? Well, the this time of year, the last couple months, um, I'm more spending time with the family, of course, because the four months now I've been in the woods <laughs> every every weekend, every afternoon I can get, um, you know. So I spend a lot of time with the family coming up. We take our little trips and we go go fishing and do all that. And then once about June hits, um, that's when I'm more back into it, trying to find where they're at, doing my scouting, walking around. Of course, it's getting hot out there, so it's a lot of early morning, late evening scouting. Um, but that's also good, too, because it tells you where the deer are at. You bump a lot of deer around that time of year. Um, if you see a lot more, you walk right. And it seems like you can actually walk right up on them a lot more that time of year. It's almost like they know. But, you know, you, get, you see a lot of deer early morning and late evenings walking around do your, doing your scouting in the summertime. Yeah. Now, once you found, you know, you're out there scouting early season or right before season, um, you found that spot that that looks really good. You know, all the signs there. 
what is typically your your next move at that point? I mean, do you just get out of there until you're ready to hunt it? You hang it. We you talked a little bit about trail cameras earlier. Do you you hang a trail camera in that area, or what? What's kind of your your strategy not, at that point? Not, not so much on public land, just for the simple fact that those trail cameras get expensive, and <laughs> you know you you have the yeah. There's a lot of good hunters out there, but you'll have the ones that'll take your SD cards and vandalize your cameras and stuff just because they feel that that's their spot. Um, goes along into the whole be kind, you know, just share yeah. the area. If you find somebody's somebody's camera there, leave it alone, you know, keep going. Um, but I don't do a whole lot of it on, on public land. Uh, I, I have gotten into running the cameras here the past couple of years on my private properties that we do hunt. Um, and like I said, I've kind of learned that it, it helps me and hurts me in ways um, as far as that goes. So my next move would really be to get out until I'm ready to hunt the area. Um, I don't hang a stand because I don't really want them to have any indication that any anything's in the area. Just like, uh, you know, if they come in and they notice you, it's, good. it's mainly concealment. You know, you've got to stay concealed. If you come in and you're a sore thumb, whether you're 10 foot up or 30 foot up, they're going to spot you if they smell you. If they notice, notice something's up, they're going to find you. Um, but I typically don't put a stand in there till I'm ready to hunt it. I'll take a stand in with me. I'll hunt it. And then if I'm hunting a couple days straight, I'll leave it in there. Um, other than that, I take it out and I bring it back in me with me when I'm coming in to hunt again. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, how many times will, will you give a spot before you decide hey, it's time to pull the plug and, and move to the next one? With good wind. Um, because I will jump around. Like I said, if the wind's not right on this ridge, I'll jump over here to this ridge and hunt the opposite direction. Um, you know, with the correct wind, I usually give an area about three days. I've, I've always heard that a buck will circle around. They have a fairly large home range, and they'll normally circle around within three days um, to a good food source. So if I haven't seen them within three days, I'll normally move on to another area uh, with the exception of one very large one this past year that I kept getting on trail camera that I couldn't break away from. But <laughs> <laughs> now, do, does your strategy change throughout the different parts of the season as you go from, you know, early season to to pre-rut, rut, post-rut? Does does your strategy change along the way, or is it it pretty consistent finding finding the food, the cover, the trails, the scat, and and setting up Fair, fairly consistent once you find the food trail scat you find the deer the does are going to bring you the books once once that pre-rut hits it's it's like the parade of deer hits you know early november is one of the best times to be in the woods uh, for me and then you move on to you know your bigger bucks start hitting the ground mid-november to late november and then we chase the rut up to uh, north georgia in december um so it, it's it's really all over, you know, with, as far as the strategy, chasing the rut and chasing the deer around. But finding them is pretty, you know, pretty much the same wherever you go. You find the food source, you find the thick, find areas where there's not a lot of pressure. You're normally going to find the deer. Yeah. How much how much does I guess pre-rut and rut, how much does that that buck sign play into, uh, you know, where you're going to set up as far as scrapes and rubs that kind of stuff are, do you, are you paying a lot of attention to that or again is it more just about the food and and the scat and the the sign when they when they start scraping they start rubbing earlier in the season i don't pay it as much attention as late season i take it that they're traveling through there and they're using the area but when they stop scraping and they go into their second rut and they start scraping again. As soon as you find those scrapes, that's the best luck I've had hunting late season over a scrape is as soon as they start scraping, you get in there, normally you'll see something during the daytime. Um, a lot of my big buck activity, I know you guys see the same thing, is nighttime. You know, a lot of the guys at our hunting camp, you know, down there close to one of the WMAs that I hunt, we, we have a, a lease that's about 600 acres that borders um, one of the WMAs, and it's it's a great place to hunt. You know, the guys, they talk about their trail cameras all the time, 
and the property doesn't get a ton of pressure, but all the deer, all of your mature deer, four and a half, five and a half, six and a half year old deer are at night. Um, three and a half year old deer, it's like a, 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 a light switch. You see them during the daytime all day long. They hit that four and a half year, five and a half year mark, and you don't see them again until the rut. Yeah. So that's your that's your favorite time of of year to be in the woods. The rut. Absolutely, absolutely. The entire month uh, month of November um, is the time to be in the woods for me. Now, of course, uh, any chance I get, you know, we're going to be out there. But um, if I had my pick of any time to take off, take take some time off of work, November would be it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you on that. You got some guys. I mean, I think most most deer hunters like the rut, you know, like that time of year. But there's there's some out there that, you know, they they like that early season when they feel like they're on a, a more patternable uh, routine. But, yeah, I'll, I'll take that rut every time because it's just there's something about that, uh, you know, just feeling like anything could happen. You know, a, a deer that you've never seen before could suddenly show up. I just I, I like that time of year for sure. That's right, and and deer that you did wouldn't imagine existed out there will show up in the middle of the night. Yeah, <laughs> on, yeah. The, on the side of the road on your favorite WMA. <laughs> oh man, I I just uh, bought fifteen acres here. Well, it's the same place we live. It's fifteen acres in a house, but bought it last year. So this is the first year getting hunted, and of course running trail cameras and stuff. And man, I was blown away during the rut about how many different bucks came through this little 15 acre property, you know, during that month of, during late October into, uh, well, into late November, really. But, you know, of course, like you said, most of the time it's at night, some of them would only show up once or maybe, you know, two or three times and and they'd be gone. But it's just, it just goes to show, like I said, you never know what's going to show up that time of year. Um, a deer you've never seen before. Uh, could, right. could just you know be in there and and you could have the the hunt of a lifetime just in the the an instant so yeah and we're we're in a similar situation we just bought a piece of property um the actual piece of property itself is four acres now a buddy of mine that butts up to us is another fifteen acres which we have permission access to go back and forth and me and him kind of kind of hunt this every once in a while and you know, the the amount of deer traffic that you see through these areas that don't get pressure is just unreal. Um, you know, it's just just some unreal deer back in this little patch of woods that you wouldn't think that are there, but they are. Yeah. Yeah, don't tell you don't always take a big chunk of land. It just takes the right the right chunk of land. That's it. So. If you're in the right area with the right genetics and the right nutrition, they're gonna be there. Yeah. And like you said, just playing it smart and, and keeping the pressure down. So Yeah, yeah. Now, kind of going back, you know, I asked you, you know, how many times you'd hunt a spot before you decided to move on and kind of playing off of that. Do you ever come back to a spot? Say say you you hunted a spot, you gave it three days and, and nothing showed up, but the sign was just really good in there. Do you just mark that spot off and, and never go back or do you, will you give it another chance maybe at a different time of year? No, I still give it another chance. Um, you know, I'll come back and hunt the same area. If it's a really good looking area and I just get that feeling because some people, you know, you get that feeling about some areas that it's going to come together here. Um, now if I get that feeling about an area, yeah, I'll circle back and I'll hunt a few times. Of course, if there's an area that I've tagged a couple nice bucks, it's going to get hunted once or twice every year. Um, but going into an area where I've never seen anything. It just looks good. Never killed anything. I will circle back a couple times and hunt it, you know, over over the course of some years. Because like I said, there's so many places and so much public land to roam. And there's so many good areas that you can go into and, and kill a really nice buck. It's it's hard to say, well, where am I going to go this week? I get, I get confused by that week to week myself. Oh, it's a never ending battle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me and Robert talk about that all the time. It's just, it's a struggle every day that that you're going to hunt, man. It's like, okay, should I go to, to spot A or spot B? And you know, you know, if you go to B, the deer are going to be at A and yeah, it's, yeah, it's a yeah. never, never ending battle. But, um, I, I know you've really all, you, you kind of answered this, you've touched on this some, but you know, have you found that 
once you've found a, a good spot, a good productive spot where, you know, you, you've gone in there and you've killed a good buck, does do those spots seem to, you know, produce year after year? They do. Um, they do once, you know, seems like an area where you kill a mature buck. Um, if there's not already another one in the area, it seems like one will take over the area um, within the matter of a year or two. Because I've gone into areas and shot mature deer, um, gone back the next day and shot another one. I've gone into areas and shot a mature deer, and I've gone back the next year and shot another one. Um, it doesn't always happen like that, of course, but, you know, I have had some real good luck in the same general areas. Yeah. I guess how much, you know, going into a new deer season, how much how much of your hunting will be based on those past good spots and, and versus, you know, getting out there and looking for new stuff? Are you always, you know, every year, are you always out there looking for new spots or, or do you tend to kind of focus on what you know? No, I'm always out, like I said, especially when I'm up there bear hunting. Um, I'm always, you know, stalking around as much as I can, getting getting some miles under my boots. Um, because it, that land up there is so vast. I mean, it's it, it'll take you a lifetime to learn. Just just say one WMA up there that's 60,000, 70,000 acres. Your whole lifetime, you'd never learn that WMA. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so it, it, there's a lot of lot of walking, a lot of scouting, um, lot find, a lot of finding new spots. Um, and I will circle back. Like I said, I will circle back to spots that I know uh, very often. But I am constantly trying to push, I guess, push myself into finding a new that new spot and that bigger deer because everybody always wants a bigger one. You know, I've got <laughs> That's right. some very nice deer on the wall, and of course, I still want a bigger one. They're out, you know, they're out there. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, I know with me and I think it's a lot of guys, a lot of public land hunters, at least there's just something in you that you always want to look at those new spots, you know, see what's over that next hill or uh, yep. just, just always looking out there, looking for those new Grass spots. Is always you know? greener. Yeah. Uh, Grass is always greener. That's right. Cause I, I've got to where, you know, I love the scouting process you know, almost as I'm as much as I do the, the hunting side of it, man, I just love, love getting out there uh, as much as I can year round and, and looking over these WMAs. And now on a bigger area, like you're talking about there, like that spot in North, North Georgia, seems like there's kind of two trains of thought or, or, or kind of two different methods that, that people go about. They either, you know, they might have different spots all over that 60,000 that they've, they've scouted and, and looked at, or there's guys that seem to pick a, a block, you know, maybe a thousand acres and just try to learn everything they can about that thousand acres, stay in that, that one spot and learn everything they can, which, which do you kind of fall under? Well, you've got, you know, your handful of hunters up there that roam that place and they know it, uh, they know it well. Most of your average hunters, most of your new hunters, they're going to stick to the roads, to the streams. You know, if you break away from that, you'll normally get away from your ma- your major foot traffic. Um, but as you know, as far as that goes, you know, you don't run into a whole lot of whole lot of people way back like that. Um, you know, that's where I like to get when I'm going in. Yeah, yeah. But do you do you kind of have spots you've scouted all over that WMA or? Do you find yourself kind of focusing on one, maybe one larger block and just trying to learn everything you can in that one block? For, you know, for a year or two at times, I'll pick a block and I'll, uh, and I'll scout that area. As you say, a five square mile area, um, I'll stick to that area for a year or two and then I'll move on. Now, like, uh, like I was telling you when I first went up there, I had four different areas in mind. Um, they were all spread out throughout the WMA. And I found the one block where um, I harvested a really, really nice eight-pointer. Um, so I've kind of stuck to that block. I, I've actually pulled another uh, nice eight-pointer and a really nice bear out of there, too. So uh, I've kind of been hung up on that block, but I'm, you know, open to trying new areas, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of, that's pretty much exactly what I do with the, the WMAs I hunt around here, I, I kind of got a block I focus on and I'm, I'm learning, you know, trying to learn every inch of it, but I'm also scouting, you know, other areas. I'm always looking at other spots as well, just to 
because you never know, you know. Yeah, I I always try to find new ways to come out. If I'm parked in an area and I go one way in, middle of the day, I'll try to come another way out, try to search, you know, see what I can find, you know, figure out where something that I haven't been to before. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. How how much of your strategy, how much thought, I guess, do you put on those entrance and and exit routes and, and getting in and out of a spot? Trying to avoid bedding area is the main thing. Um, I try to stay out of the bedding area with them. I try to do as much hunting close to the bedding area in the evenings. Um, I'll hunt my food source in the morning times and then, you know, kind of inch in there closer, close as I can to the bedding area in the evenings a lot of the time. Yeah. And getting, you know, getting around your specific areas. You know, I've got one, one hilltop that I hunt and I'll walk a good half mile out of the way just to, you know, not bump any deer coming in from the other way. Cause I know that's the direction that they typically come in from when I hunt that hilltop. And if I was to go in and go the other way, there's a good chance of bumping them. So I'll go the long way and normally see deer. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I, I think that's, I think that's a key piece of, of being successful in these public lands that a lot of people overlook is, is that getting in and, and out of a spot like that? Because uh, I know the the deer I killed on a WMA, well, I guess two two seasons ago now. Uh, if I'd gone in the the normal way, you know, if I'd went in like everybody else and and followed the the WMA road in, uh, I would have walked right past that buck. He, he was bedding within sight of the access trail, um, so I you know I looped around and came in the back way, and uh, it, it worked out for me that time. But yeah, it's uh, you got you got to pay attention to that kind of stuff for sure, and I think it's an easy easy oh, aspect yeah. to overlook. Oh yeah, it's easy easy to overlook. Uh, you know, a good vantage point or a good access point, you know, to where they're coming in, and that's a lot of seat time in the tree. You know, a lot of watching them from the tree and knowing where they're coming from and what they're doing. You know, you eventually you learn not to walk in there right on top of them. Yep, that's right. So, uh, any big plans for the 2022 season coming up here? Uh, just really pumped about getting out there, doing some scouting, um, hopefully getting picked for an alligator tag this year. That would be awesome. It's a new experience for me. Got a couple guys that are fairly experienced in doing that, and I'm just kind of waiting on my tag. So that'll get my season started early this year if we get picked. Um, you know, pick, signing up for a lot of quota hunts. Of course, the uh, Piedmont uh, Wildlife Management or uh, National refuge um we're getting signed up for those hunts getting ready for that um other than that just you know getting out there and doing some walking around seeing what we can find there you go you're gonna chase bears again this this fall oh yeah yeah that's that's something i'll i'll never stop doing that <laughs> good deal good deal yeah, we, i might pick your brain a little bit more about that later because uh like i said that's that's something i, I want to give a try for sure me and Robert were talking about, you know, trying to make it a point to get up there and, and see how that goes. I'll tell you, a lot of people I take up there, they love the idea and they get up there and they hike up and down them hills and they help me drag my bear out and they don't ever want to do it again. <laughs> well, I, I, I've heard a lot of people say you only want to shoot one, you know, that after, after you have to drag one out that, uh, that pretty much ruins it for you. But sounds like, uh, that, that certainly wasn't the case with you. You've, you've got three under your belt, so. Yeah, well, the you know the meat is delicious. It is. It's a it's a little tougher, but you know it it has a really good taste to it. Um, you know, it's right up there with venison and and cow, if you ask me. Uh, if you cook it right, of course. But that's with any wild game. Yeah. Now, do you cut it up and and pack it out? Just pack out the you debone it and pack out the meat, or how, how do you? Get them out of there. De- dep- depending on how big it is, uh, you know, a couple hundred pound bear. We're going to put it on the car and we're going to roll it out. But, you know, you get into 300, 300 plus, you've, you've got to cut them up and pack them out and sometimes still pack them out on the car. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. we lo- I like to wrap these these type of episodes up, these public land focused episodes by asking, you know, what's that one piece of advice that you'd give a new public land hunter to help them find success maybe a little quicker than they might otherwise? Um, not not necessarily killing a big buck, but just, you know, getting out there and, and killing a deer on public land. Uh, you know, the biggest thing you can do is boots on the ground. You know, get out there, find your trails, find your sign, 
um, you know, walk those ridge tops. I would say to a new hunter getting into it, if you're not savvy on playing the wind, hunt the ridge tops, stick to the tops of the ridges, keep your wind above them, and that's going to help you greatly. Um, as far as, you know, to the new hunters out there, you know, we're all here to have fun, share the woods. You know, we want to leave it better, better than what we found it. You know, be kind to each other, stay sharp, and good luck out there. You know, I, I decided to do the podcast with you because, you know, there's a lot of, lot of people out there that are just very undereducated when it comes to hunting in general. And I've got, you know, just a short story about it. Yeah. Got a couple of couple years back, um, me and a buddy, we went back to hunt this spot on the river. And the river had gotten a little too high for us to go back there. But when we were on the way back, we seen this guy on the side of the road. And he's big, nice, flashy F-150, nice hunting equipment. Looked like, he, looked like he knew what he was up, you know, like he knew what he was doing. And we rode on past and didn't think nothing about it. And we got down to the river and the river was way too high for us to get across. So we decided to go back out and try another area. And we were coming back out, and when we were coming back up the main road, this guy had done hung his stand in the tree directly right beside his truck, and he was sitting there, full <laughs> blaze orange, right beside the main road, hunting beside his truck, <laughs> um, not knowing that he was completely illegal, uh, you know, doing what he was doing. I didn't have the heart to pull over and tell him. I figured I'd let the game warden do that, but... <laughs> You know, it's just people go out here to these properties and they don't have a clue. So what you're doing is great. You know, and people need this. Yeah. And that's, I, I know, you know, we have listeners that are very experienced and, you know, they might listen to an episode and, and not get, you know, a whole lot of new information out of it. They might think, well, you know, that, that, that was, that was obvious stuff. You know, I knew, I already knew that, but you know, we, we do get a lot of feedback from guys that are brand, either brand new to hunting or maybe brand new to public land hunting that, you know, our, my favorite thing to get is is an email or a message saying, hey, you know, I've been listening to your podcast and was able to kill my first deer out on a public land this year. I mean, I, 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 those those are the messages that, that keep me and Robert, you know, putting these out. I, I love to to hear that kind of stuff. So that's uh, right. So, yeah. So, you know, not every every episodes for everybody, but. Uh, we do know that we have a lot of listeners out there who are pretty new to, to public land hunting or sometimes hunting in general. So yep. that's, uh, it, that's why and I'm do very it. active. I'm very active on the groups, the uh, forums and things like that. And I'm always, you know, up for answering questions people have and things like that. And just kind of giving my somewhat of my guidance out there and people all the time will thank me. They'll, you know, message me, private message me. And, you know, thanks for the information that really helped out, you know, and even people hit me up and want me to guide them and stuff like that. And I tell people, I don't get into the, Whole thing, you know. There's a lot of time and a lot of patience that goes into it. It's not one of these planned hunts. It's not a plantation hunt. I get, you know, I'm blessed, you know, because I I put the good Lord first when I go out there. If you put Him first, you're going to be successful no matter what you do. There you um, go. But there's still a lot of time, a lot of patience involved. Oh yeah, yeah, that is for sure. Yeah, if if I relied on on you know, killing something to, uh, enjoy hunting. I, I would have gave it up a long time ago it's, yeah. uh, it's about a lot more than, than pulling the trigger. That's right. But man, I, I appreciate it, Alex. I appreciate your time on here today. Uh, you know, sitting down and talking with me about public land hunting. Uh, I enjoyed it. Yes, sir. I look forward to seeing you guys at WMA this year. All right, guys, that wraps up our interview with Alex Huey. Uh, as always, we appreciate you taking time to to listen to this uh, this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Alex is a great guy and a, a lot of great information there. And uh, he, he definitely definitely gets the job done. So we'll be uh, taking some of that into account as I get out there this season and, and scout and prepare for the, the 2022 deer season. But uh, you got anything else before we wrap this one up? Robert. Uh, yeah, just want to read a new review we had come in and it's from Clint45 and it says, great. It's a five-star review, and it says, Hey, guys, thanks for the great podcast. I really enjoy listening to you guys and the great guests you have on. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Clint Curtis. So, Clint, we appreciate the five-star rating review. And anybody that hasn't yet, just uh, please go by the Apple Podcasting app and drop us a rating or review. And, uh, yeah, just a big thanks to Alex because this is actually the second time we've recorded this episode. That's right. The first time we had some audio technical difficulties, so... We uh, had to get him back on to get this recorded and uh, 
just a big thank you for to him for taking the time out again to hop on with us here and record this episode again for y'all. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah, we we recorded with Alex uh, shoot like last year. And like I said, uh, the audio didn't work out. And then we just uh, hadn't been able to get caught back up with him until here recently. But uh, I'm glad we did. I think think that was a good episode and hope you guys enjoyed it. Yep. So I think that pretty much does it for me, Brian. I know we we have some great guests. We we're trying to get lined up for y'all here over the next uh, month or so. One really big one we're trying to get in the works that I think y'all will really enjoy. And it's going to make a great episode. of course, a few other ones as well that uh, we're looking forward to. So y'all just make sure you got those notifications turned on so you know when we're dropping new episodes. And uh, just thanks to everybody again. Yep, absolutely. And with that, guys, we'll wrap this one up. As always, hunt safe, shoot straight, and most importantly, hey, just enjoy your time out there and God's great outdoors. We'll see you on the next one.